0: Hello, and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and a mail sender. I'm also a huge history nerd. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share some of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so. Don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff. No, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. That makes sense, too. Today, in 1842, the United States Postal Service used postage stamps as a way to pay for mail for the first time. They were manufactured by a private company, the City Despatch Post, and introduced in New York City. Let's reverse and talk about the history of how postage works in the United States. In the beginning, letters were stampless altogether. Instead of the sender paying for postage and putting it in the envelope, the recipient would pay the carrier when they got the letter. In the United States, postal service began in the 17th century as a way of communicating between the 13 original colonies. The first postal routes were informal and began in Boston around 1639. The Boston to New York City service began in 1672. About 100 years later, in 1775, Benjamin Franklin was appointed to be Postmaster General, and the official U.S. Post Office was created. Today, the Postmaster General acts as a CEO of the Post Office, directing the entire organization from the top. The work of the Postmaster General became so vital that in the early 1800s, the position became a part of the President's cabinet. Around this same time, mail carriers were beginning to realize that collecting the cost of postage from the recipient slowed down the day's mail route and prohibited delivering all the letters in a day that they wanted to arrive at their destination. Additionally, if the recipient refused to accept the mail, they also refused to pay, and then the cost of delivering the letter was shouldered by the post office itself. The invention and usage of postage stamps aimed to solve these problems. The United Kingdom beat the United States to the chase by introducing the postage stamp in 1840. A U.S. senator brought the idea to the U.S. Senate after hearing of how it revolutionized the mail system in Britain. A few things had to happen before postage stamps could be fully implemented, though. The post office had to actually figure out a standard rate for all mail that would be applied nationwide. Also, someone had to actually manufacture and sell the stamps. This ended up being a private company. City Dispatch Post, who began operating in New York City in early 1842. The stamp cost three cents and featured an illustration of George Washington. A couple months later, the City Dispatch Post was sold to the government so that stamps were an official, regulated part of the post office's operations— When the Civil War erupted in 1861, the post office ran into some major issues. The Union invalidated all existing stamps and created their own new stamps with new regulations, costs, and systems of purchasing. Post offices in the South made up their own ways to pay for postage, since their normal stamps were invalidated and a new system wasn't created for the entire Confederacy. In both the North and the South, the exchange of stamps or the inability to use them at all created mass confusion for anyone who used the mail system. Today, the stamps that the North created for the Civil War are collector items, selling anywhere from $3 to $3,000, depending on the ink, used, and the rarity of the stamp. They come in several shades of pink from rose to pigeon blood. The post office merged with the Pony Express to get mail to the West Coast in 1860, The Pony Express was super helpful during the Civil War, when the Northeast Union states needed a reliable way to communicate with their allied forces in California. I talk more about the history of the Pony Express in the episode from October 24th. Farewell to the Pony Express. In many ways, the post office is way more intertwined with American life than you'd actually expect. At one point, the post office was the largest retailer in the United States, larger than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Walmart combined. Despite being a federal organization, the post office doesn't run off tax dollars. It's completely run on the revenue as a retailer. 200 of the nation's federal laws consider the post office and the safety of mail and postal workers. Every day, the post office sorts 18 million trays of mail through complex conveyor systems, and every day they deliver 472 million pieces of mail. Despite all of this, the post office was in a dire place just last year. The post office was $160 billion in debt. Obviously, a lot of different factors contribute to getting the post office into these dire financial straits. And it all began with the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act in the early 2000s, which required that the post office pre-calculate all of its pension and healthcare costs for the next 75 years and put away enough money to cover it within 10 years, this proved basically impossible, and also happened at the same time that email, texting, and private services began to severely limit the once-robust revenue of the post office. The bill meant that USPS had to secure $5.6 billion per year for future retirees, and that just proved to be way too much money for them to raise. By 2010, they were $12 billion in debt, and from 2010 to 2018, that number jumped to $78 billion and Congress still wouldn't take action to change the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act. Like many industries, the USPS was further hurt by COVID-19, and the Postmaster General told Congress in February of last year that they'd be unable to operate by the fall without some kind of stimulus. Former President Trump threatened to veto any bill that looked like a USPS bailout, but they were able to settle on a loan package to get through the year. The future of the USPS is still uncertain, but hopefully now you can understand just how vital to America the service is. Let's talk about stamps for a bit more before we move on. In 1893, the post office began the practice of issuing commemorative stamps based on world events or leaders. The first commemorative stamp was for the World Columbian Exhibition in Chicago, which had taken place earlier that year. They had prints of small engraved paintings depicting Columbus's expedition to America. To make sure that they could produce the images, the commemorative stamps were twice the size of all previous stamps. More sizes and shapes of commemorative stamps have been produced over the years, like triangular stamps in 1997 and circular stamps in 2000. A woman was on the stamp for the first time in 1902. It was a portrait of Martha Washington, George's wife. If you recall, he was the first person depicted on a stamp at all. Every year, an advisory committee is selected to decide who is going to be added to the stamps that year. Called the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee. It was created in 1957, and the Postmaster General appointed artists, educators, historians, politicians, and other public figures to serve on the committee. These days, the committee receives 30,000 submissions every single year. The members of the committee then meet four times per year to go through the submissions. In 2007, the Post Office released the first Forever Stamp. The Forever Stamp is a stamp that, once purchased, can be used, as you'd imagine, forever, regardless of how much postage, has gone up in the time since it was purchased. The first forever stamp had an image of the Liberty Bell, but since 2010, many more forever stamps have been introduced. If you're buying regular stamps today, they cost $0.55. They generally rise about a cent or two every few years. For instance, in 2009, they were $0.44. In 2012, they were $0.45. In 2015, $0.49. And in 2018, they went up to $0.50. The post office is a vital institution of America, and with the advent of both private delivery and so much more communication taking place online, it's more important than ever to understand its history and support a public organization. So let's get out there and find some pen pals and send letters the old-fashioned way. Let's pivot to music. Today in 2019, The Umbrella Academy premiered on Netflix. The show is based on a comic by Gerard Way, who used to be the singer of My Chemical Romance. Any MCR fans out there? ways didn't just write the comic he developed a whole imprint of dc comics called young animal under which the umbrella academy was released the show's plot involves the birth of 43 children to random unsuspecting women seven of whom are adopted by a billionaire and trained to become the next generation of superheroes the show's stars include actors elliot page and mary j blige it came out to positive reviews and has been renewed for a third season of which i cannot wait for because i freaking love this show now for our final segment, I'm going to look into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on February 15th in my life. On February 15th, 2020, my parents came to visit me at my place for the first time in New York. Um, I have not gotten to have them come visit me since then, but I have gotten to go see them in California. However, it's really fun. I love my family, I really love hanging out with them, and on February 15th last year, We were hanging out in New York before a pandemic happened, going to get dumplings and eating bagels inside my place. I really, really miss it. But hopefully soon we can make more memories like that again. That's all for today. Let's travel back in time again tomorrow. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow along at 365 Days MXM Tune on all platforms. It's 365 with MXM Tune